Welcome in, everybody. It's our Mizzou Game Plan, the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, an award-winning p- columnist at that, and Ben Fredrickson. And uh, we're with you for the next couple of hours. We're going to be joined by Dane Bradshaw, the former Tennessee volunteer and part of ESPN of the SEC Network, was on the call of Mizzou, Alabama a couple of days ago. So we'll get his take on the Tigers right now. We'll hear from... Mizzou senior in transfer, Jesus Carolero Martin. Jesus Carolero Martin. I'm probably better at it than most of uh, some of the broadcasters we've heard throughout the course of this year. Just call him Zeus. But uh, Jesus Carolero Martin with us next hour. We'll make some picks. We'll talk some football as well in this uh, crazy offseason. I say hi and hello to Ben on this uh, Friday night. Good evening, sir. Good evening, my man. What a what a final day to our uh, sports work week here we're headed into an interesting week and it's been a it's been a busy friday man how are you doing i'm good i'm good and looking forward to a a full slate of college basketball tomorrow still obstructed by the nfl they've got uh, two windows of playoffs tomorrow but this i think is the last saturday where they face that obstruction so you'd think even better matchups coming down the pike starting next saturday but Still plenty of good games tomorrow. We'll look at some of those later on in the show. The game we're certainly focusing on, Mizzou. Home against Florida tomorrow night, Ben. And maybe some light at the end of the tunnel. Certainly looks like, on paper, a winnable winnable game. Much more winnable than it did at the start of the year. I really liked this Florida team heading into the year. Second-year head coach, of course, the former coach at San Francisco, Todd Golden. Uh, his Gators were ten and three. They've lost three of four, and uh, I mean, heck, you lose to Kentucky, Ole Miss, Tennessee—nothing to hang your head about. They did throttle Arkansas, Ben, at home last Saturday, and uh, of course, we've seen Arkansas since bounce back. Here's here's Mizzou, one of the few SEC teams left, Ben, that has not garnered that first conference win. Again, on paper, it looks like a game the Tigers uh, should very much uh, have a window to get a victory in tomorrow night. Yeah, it's um, a long one in a long string of winnable games for this Missouri basketball team. and That's kind of the, the good news is this conference has a lot of teams that are pretty good, but I don't think they have any that are outside of maybe, maybe there's a top four. Um, we're going to talk to Dane Bradshaw about that, but... Um, I think outside of that, there's a lot of games that uh, are really kind of who shows up that night. And I think Florida is one of those teams. It's been a little bit of a, kind of a reality check for Golden at Florida, the coach there, just like it's been a little bit of a reality check for Dennis Gates in his second season. I think these two coaches will continue to be kind of compared and contrasted to one another because of when they were hired. They were part of that coaching group that all were new to the SEC at about the same time, and I think Florida probably feels in some ways like Missouri does. I think they feel like they've played some games maybe closer than it looks, um, and they feel like they're not too far away from having a, a better record. Um, they have had that kind of uh, relief of a conference win. They really were able to pile on Arkansas at a point where the Razorbacks are just looking for, looking for something. They may have found it now, um, but uh, Florida got to them before before they did um but you know they they were relatively close against kentucky um and then they've got you know double digit losses significant to ole miss and and tennessee so i think they're kind of in a a similar spot 
and it's going to be one of those games where you can break down the projections of it. It's pretty much a toss-up game based off of the the predictions entering that, and you hope that in a toss-up game at home you have the advantage if you're Mizzou. Uh, Ben, I I think, and I think they do have uh, at least part of that advantage at home, and you almost think, Ben, where if they get their first SEC win, and, and as you mentioned, the upcoming schedule, I don't want to say manageable with this team, it's probably not fair to say. No, but I mean, it's, they, they, it's, they, they don't, you don't have a manageable schedule until you win a game. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's, it seems more feasible, right? Because Al, uh, Auburn's much later on in the season. Tennessee is at the end of February. So in between those games, you've got opportunities against teams that are good, not great. Mizzou's not in that category yet, but maybe I do feel like, uh, and I said it a little bit this week, this team, much like last year, they play their butts off. But unlike last year, Ben, where the team carried themselves with a bit of a swagger, they had confidence, they knew if the game was close late that they'd win. They'd have a lot of, they had a lot of those games here lately, Ben, where they have been close. And they've had a lead, especially at home, and those leads evaporate and they play poorly the last six or seven minutes. That's been a new occurrence, and I, and I do think part of it is that they're somewhat shorthanded. I think being without Caleb Grill has been a problem, but I also think, Ben, conversely, if they get that first win and if they make some clutch plays down the stretch, it could open the floodgates and maybe multiple positive outcomes could follow. You don't know until you get the first, and right now they do seem to be just uh, struggling with that confidence aspect, and I think that, that could be a big piece to this puzzle. Yeah, I'd like to see... If their defense can can win them a game, um, we know how they want to play. But I'd like to I think there's real improvement this Missouri team could make defensively, and you'd like to see them do it against the Florida team that is really led by multiple guards. Um, perimeter defense needs to be an emphasis in this game against the Gators. They've got two guards who are averaging about 15 points per game, and Walter Clayton Jr. and Zion Pullen, and and these guys shoot a high percentage. Clayton shoots 44 percent. From the field, Pullen shoots forty percent from three. Um, these are this is a perimeter team that if you if you're able to to limit these guys on the outside, then I think that kind of throws Florida off its game. But you know, you and I have talked about this Missouri basketball team a lot. We know what they want to do. We know how they want to play, and we know where their weaknesses are going to be year in and year out. To me, it's uh, if they're going to get over that hump and start getting some wins, they're either going to have to be better at what they want to be their strength or they're going to have to tighten up what their weaknesses are a little bit. And that's one thing they can do and have to do is just stop letting opponents get such desirable open looks defensively. And, and I think you'd like to see them really start to do that by showing they can play a little bit more, I think, thorough perimeter defense. Um, if you're out of position, get back into it. Try to get those deals. Try to work on that pressure. But don't let pressure that doesn't work turn into really good looks at the other end. So this is a good matchup for them to try to lock down a perimeter, and if they can do that, then maybe they can build off that and get some more games swung in their favor moving forward. I think, you know, you bring up a really good point, Ben, because a lot of where Mizzou has struggled at this year, they struggled at it last year. Rebounding, we know. They were much worse at rebounding, actually, last year, but they haven't improved so much to where it can really make a difference. They are a little bit better there. Um, getting to the free throw line, right? 
Well, they didn't get to the free throw line a ton last year, though, either. So that is still kind of an identity of this team. And, Ben, they do tend to give up way too many open looks at the basket in transition based on how they want to defend and how they want to get into the passing lanes. They did that a bunch last year. But as you said, a lot of areas have fallen off, like their ability to get live ball turnovers and score off those live ball turnovers much less this year. That's a problem. They're not shooting at as high a clip as they were last year from beyond the arc. I mean, Ben, just just being brutally honest here, this was a top 10 offense last year. They are now top 80 uh, offensively. They're not a bad offensive team. And Coach Gates brought up a, a, a valid point this week that they do score points in the paint. I do think there's a, an, important, an important asterisk to add on to that, is that they score points in the paint uh, not in transition. They do it in a way where it slows the ball down. We've seen Noah Carter do that a lot. But he's right. They are getting those points in the paint, but those aren't always easy points. And a lot of time you're doing it off of tough shots. And I feel like, Ben, for this team to get back closer to where they were offensively last year, you've got to be generating those points in the paint on the fast break, and they just don't do that enough. Yeah, and, that's, and that gets to doing what they should do well even better, right? I mean, there's, 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 the, the, they're going to get off of this uh, streak of losing games only one of those ways. They're going to have to either lean into their strengths or their what they should be their strengths, or they're going to have to start to tighten up their defenses and their their weaknesses. And and or here's here's a great idea: do do a little bit of both. Yep. Um, you know, to me, we haven't seen a game yet where Missouri just gets in a team's head and speeds them up and watches them unravel. We saw it multiple times last year. Um, and, and I don't know that they can do it as well as they did last year because they don't have like one of the best steel artists in the country in Des Moines Hodge. Right. But it would be fun to see a game where they are able to impact an opponent that way. Um, and, it, and it's going to have to be at home, and it's going to have to be in front of a crowd that, that feeds into it. And I bring it up because if you don't have one soon – then you may not have the crowd to help you drive it. Um, not that people are going to stop going or lose support, but it's a different atmosphere when you're when you're you know going deep into your conference season without a win. So you're probably I'd like to see this home fan base get something that uh, encourages them to keep coming and keep supporting this this season um, in attendance because I think everybody's on a pretty good place when it comes to what's coming in the future for Dennis Gates, but. You, you you want reasons, tangible reasons, that this uh, season isn't just going to be one where you hold your breath and wait for future ones. And they're kind of getting up to the point where you need to get a win to, to keep fostering that feel good about the future or else it's going to be a little bit of a lost year. So not to add pressure to a group that's already feeling a lot of it, but a win against Florida, even if Florida's struggling a little bit itself, that would be something where this team could say, look, played a lot of close games, their effort's there, been a grind, maybe not an NCAA tournament team, but they're still fighting it out and, and, and actually finding ways to to build on some things as this season goes along, despite some curveballs with injuries. I do think it's a it's a really good point, Ben, because it's something Mizzou football did this past year, where they won their biggest game early, 
That was Kansas State. And then it just kept on building off that they kept giving a reason for fans to come out. And the game they lost against LSU, well, it was one of the more exciting games of the year. So I don't think people were suddenly turned off to the fact, yeah, I'm, this, yeah, I'm not going to the rest of these games. What, what, a, what a boring output that was. You scored 90 combined points. Yeah, I'm not interested in this product at all. But I, I think... We, we saw it with Konzo. I mean, the years they went to the tournament, the place was buzzing. But just as quick when they struggled, the basketball attendance would fall off. And you really want to avoid that, Ben. You, and and it, it's part of that is it's up to the team. It's up to the players to give the fans a reason to come out. I will say, I think that what, what with what happened last year, and as you said, Ben, with what's coming in the recruiting class, I think there's enough goodwill for the fans to, to maybe cut them a bit of a break and and not not turn away in droves like they like they did at times under Conzo. There's reason enough to continue to to build this back up and the fans were a big part and and a lot of uh, I'll say this Ben the the vibe in these home games have been strange because they've played better but they've almost played scared more down the stretch because both against South Carolina and Georgia there were those droughts at the end of the game that that cost them wins both of those games could have been wins for Mizzou and on the road Ben it almost seems like they just physically run out of gas because they they seem to play freer and harder on the road I don't have an answer as to why that happens but another key piece to this puzzle is to make sure Mizzou Arena is one of the more difficult places to play, and that happens with the crowds that they bring in. And the students are now back, Ben. This will be the first game where right. the students are completely back on campus. So, And it's a night game, and everybody seems to like night games, right? So it, it should be, by all accounts, um, close to a capacity crowd. I know they had tickets available earlier this week. But uh, I, I think the students, things aren't so far out of hand yet where they shouldn't be there. It should be a packed, packed student section at the very least tomorrow night. Yeah, and you want those people who show up to be rewarded, right? And right. you want them to say, okay, we're going to be back at the next one. Um, so I think there's a little bit of, uh, there's just a little bit more kind of atmosphere-wise on the line. Um, everybody acknowledges this team's playing hard. There's no quit in this bunch, but you still you need to get some wins you get some wins in there to keep the uh, to keep the the misery um, pushed back and have people continue to see the big picture. You also want people to see that this team is getting better as the season goes along. That's a realistic goal for any team, regardless of whether or not you're going to be in the tournament. You, are you improving as the year goes along? And I, I think that's fair to ask of any coach: is can you point to can you point to ways the team that you have, not the team that you thought you'd have, or not the team that you had before injuries? Can you point? to ways the team you had got better as the, as the year went along. So that's that's something big picture. Small picture, I mentioned some of the shooting percentages shooting percentages of these Gators. We should also mention Florida doesn't have like an absolute dominant rebounder, but they've got multiple guys who crash the boards with intensity. Um, their top front court, their two forwards and their their three forwards and their center all average, all average four plus rebounds. On um, the top three, average seven plus rebounds per game. They're the highest. They're the most rebounding team in the SEC. They have the most boards of any team in the SEC against the team that has the fewest. And you're not probably going to beat them on the glass, but you you've got to just not 
you've got to not let them absolutely dominate you. We we talked against Alabama about Alabama scoring 17 second chance points, and the stats don't break it down beyond that. You have to watch the game and keep them yourself to get how many of those were third or fourth chance points. But there were too many third and fourth chance points given up by Missouri against Alabama in a game that felt closer um, than it was before it got out of hand. If you give up those looks to this Florida team, they've got shooters who can also make you pay. So they're a good rebounding team that has some high-percentage shooters. If you give them three chances to score on you per possession, multiple times they're probably going to come out with points. So that's something I'm going to keep keep an eye on is can they can the Tigers just get a little a little stronger on the glass? They're not going to be a defensive juggernaut in terms of rebounding the ball, but they've got to start limiting some of these offensive rebounds that they're giving up time in and time out because it's killing them. Yeah, they've got a, a real interesting subset of players, Ben. You know, Tyree Samuel's probably their best offensive player in the low post, and he's really developed a, a nice game coming over from Seton Hall. You've got the freshman Alex Condon that comes by way of Australia. He might have the most intriguing game of their bigs. He's a rim protector, but his offensive game is pretty impressive too, and he can be an elite rebounder, our first chance to see him at Mizzou Arena. And then a guy that Micah Hanglotten, that was one of the highly touted, much sought-after transfers. He came by way of Marshall, but it's only his second full year of college basketball. He transferred pretty quick out of Marshall, and that was a good get by Todd Golden. And they, all three of those bigs do something different. Um, and I really like Walter Clayton, the transfer from Iona, that is just a, a, a natural scorer. I, I, I think they've been a little disappointing when it comes to their when it comes to their defense. They play at a, an up and down tempo, Ben, and and because of that defense, I, I think Mizzou's going to have a chance to make some shots. I think they're going to have a chance to attack the basket maybe um, a little more often than they do, and I don't think they're going to feel as much ball pressure against this Florida team, which could allow you know big games from somebody like a Sean East. And I don't know, maybe somebody like an Anthony Robinson, the freshman, Ben, he got a few more minutes on Tuesday night, and, and maybe he's got a chance to shine. And, uh, Coach, Gates mentioned it, uh, Coach Gates mentioned it on Tiger, T- Tiger Talk this week. Uh, he, he knows these freshmen have something to offer. I think he's been looking for more out of them in practice. But Robinson's contributions is something he is really, really touting right now. And I would not be shocked to see Robinson have his best game as a Tiger tomorrow night. Well, it would be, it would be great. And that's exactly what I'm talking, to, talking about. It's something that you could say, man... This season may not be going the way people hope, but look at this guy. He's coming on, and he's going to be around a while. That, that's that's going to be the, what salvages this season um, if, the, if the Tigers are able to put a positive spin on this thing. For guys who are struggling to shoot and make shots, this, this could be a good matchup. Um, Florida is allowing the second-most points of any SEC team. Only Arkansas has allowed more, and I don't think that, that number is going to hold up. I think that will, that will improve for Arkansas as the season goes along. Right. Florida right now is the easiest the easiest defense to score upon other than Arkansas. They're allowing opponents to shoot basically the same as Mizzou, about 43% from the field. Um, we see at times how easy Missouri's defense can be to score upon, and about the same three-point percentage as well. Um, so 
this is probably the closest Missouri is going to get to playing its own defense um, in some ways. So um, give give the Florida the taste of the medicine that you've been getting from from opposing offenses so far this season. Um, this might be your easiest chance, your 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 best chance that you're going to have in a while to to unlock some guys who maybe have been a little timid offensively or or haven't seen the ball go into the basket as much as they would have liked. So if I'm Dennis Gates, my message to to the players is to tighten it up defensively and go score. Go play fast and have fun, get your shots up, because this defense of the Gators is, is not something that's uh, putting putting many teeth marks in, in any of the SEC teams it's played against so far. It's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey, Mizzou, Florida, tomorrow night starting at 6.30. When we come back, some insight on this Tiger team from Dane, Dane Bradshaw was on the call earlier this week on ESPN. He's coming up with us next. It's the Mizzou game plan of the Big 550. All right, we're going to talk some more Mizzou basketball here. It's our Mizzou game plan of the Big 550 KTRS. see with sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. And uh, we're pleased to be joined uh, by Dane Bradshaw, who was on the call earlier this week for Mizzou, Alabama. Uh, and uh, I know he has crossed paths a time or two with uh, Ben Fred. Dane, we, uh, we appreciate you taking the time with us tonight, sir. How are you? I'm great. Good to be on with you guys. Ben, hey, what, uh, Ben, what, where, uh, where have you guys uh, interacted before? Well, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dane, but I think you started doing the SEC TV commentary right around the time I was in Knoxville covering Tennessee. At the time, Conzo Martin had departed Donnie Tyndall, who you and I are probably the only person who remember the Donnie Tyndall era of Tennessee basketball had uh, had been had been come and gone. And Rick Barnes was being introduced, and former former volunteer hoopster Dane Bradshaw was getting into TV broadcasting. Now I'm in St. Louis, and every time I turn on an SEC game, you're there, man. You're doing a great job. Uh, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on because I was sitting there thinking, I know when we last talked in, in terms of uh, UT hoops, there was some drama going on with some sort of coaching <laughs> change. So it was somewhere in the mix there. But uh, the, the ball fans are lucky to have some stability right now because that was a roller coaster two years and probably a, an interesting time in your career as a beat writer, I'm sure. Well, well, Dane, we were thrilled to have you on the call a few days ago. Uh, I know Ben and I were talking during the game and. Uh, just, I thought you made a ton of good points, and it was a, a, a tremendous, a tremendous telecast. And you know, curious what you saw from Mizzou in a game where we look up and, and we see an 18-point spread. Uh, we've said a lot this week. It, 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 you look back, it didn't feel like that kind of game. It got away from them in the last few minutes. But what, what was your main takeaway from Dennis Gates's Tiger team here in 2024? Yeah, I thought they played about as as well as they could um, for, gosh, 36 minutes or so, maybe 35. Um, Just the inability to to get any stops, uh, much less consecutive stops at at the end of the day against Alabama. Um, It's just I thought they put way too much pressure on their offense because when you look at it, and as I'm sure you guys have talked about, what Missouri shot close to 50%, shot it pretty well from three. I don't think they got to the line once in the first half, but that changed in the second half. So I, I thought they they did enough offensively to keep themselves in the game, but but once it got you know 80s and above, that that's just a danger zone. And and uh, but easier said than done. I, I think they 
they have some similarities in how they approach the game and shooting threes and things of that nature with, with Alabama. Alabama, um, bottom line, just I think they've, they've got more talent. And uh, even with Mark Sears, as he was injured a little bit in that game, they got a guy like Ryland Griffin that steps up and, and makes a couple threes to, to really extend that lead. But overall, I thought Missouri, uh, good team, well coached, just – uh, as as many breaks went their way last year, and I know they earned them, they're, they're getting a few that are uh, not going their way this year with some injuries and not quite able to find that magic and rhythm they had a year ago. Is is it is it safe to say, Dane, that this is a team that you know you draw it up at the start of the year that you you. Uh, Wanted to have Caleb Grill in there, if not a starter, uh, certainly a big-time contributor. And then John Tanji, the transfer from Colorado State, he's never quite right all year long, and now he's been shut down the rest of the year. Grill is maybe closer to coming back, but uh, his presence has certainly been missed. Is it fair to say that this Mizzou team has been somewhat compromised without those two guys on the floor at the level Coach Gates thought they would be at here in the early portion of conference season? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a fair point. That, that's two guys that you expect to be starters when, when you're already having to replace um, a lot of lost production, uh, to say the least, from, from a year ago. And so you know, once you remove those two guys, and, and as I know as much as they like to go deep and rotate a, a bunch of guys, the, the margin of error just gets so much more slim for Missouri. And yeah, the, the explosive plays that they got a year ago that I thought would take some pressure – um, off their defense and offense with, with just getting those live ball turnovers that led to easy points. Um, they've never been a great rebounding team. I'm not sure they ever will be. They're, they're just they're, they're, they're not sized that way. Um, they'll gamble some defensively, even though it's you know calculated risk. And But it just hadn't given them uh, that extra boost uh, the way we used to. Uh, and Missouri fans kind of got spoiled by with the Des Moines Hodge type plays. And then, um, and look, Kobe Brown, he, he became better than I ever imagined he would be. And my hat's off to, to Dennis Gates um, for getting so much out of him in that final season. But you, you see a guy like that, because I went back and watched some Missouri-Alabama from the SEC tournament in preparation for my last game. You start looking at that Missouri team and, and how the personnel has changed, and you start being like, wow, you know, that, that boy Kobe Brown was special. So um, it, it's hard to replace a guy like that. Dane, is it as simple as, hey, um, Dennis Gates is recruiting really well at the high school level. People are really encouraged about the incoming classes he has. And we all know transfers can stick uh, uh, and thrive, or that sometimes there are transfer misses. We see it every year on, on every team. Is this as simple as Gates getting the, the roster where he wants to have it to play the way he wants to play? Or do you think he needs to maybe tweak a little bit tweak some things about his style of play that he wants to coach to be a little bit more competitive in the SEC? Because it's been a little bit of a reality check this year, and some of those things that worked so well last season are now, I think, getting taken advantage of a little bit. The, the Tigers are getting backdoored a lot. That Some of their times their aggression gets used against them. Does he need to maybe recalibrate some things uh, based off what you've seen this season? Well, Dennis Gates knows this team way better than I do, so I, I won't begin to second guess. I will say what my preference is. If I was a coach and when I see head coaches out there in this league, they have their preferred style of play. But the minute they start to realize, you know what, my personnel might not be what I thought it was going to be to match my preferred style of play, you start making adjustments. And maybe that means, hey, you're not you're not pressing up as much. You're not denying wings as much. Um, 
uh, you know, I, I'm going way back, but in the UT days, Bruce Pearl, when he was at Tennessee, and everybody loved his full-court press when that was back in style. And then all of a sudden he wasn't pressing as much. Well, it was because he had a lot of tall, long athletes that just right. weren't as good in the press. They were better defensively the closer they were to the basket. And so you just see guys like that uh, around the league, and, and coaches make adjustments to that. And I, I thought you, you, you're starting to see a little bit of that with, with Dennis Gates. Uh, I know it can be game to game, but, um, you know, instead of being just so sold on we got to get 12 or 13 guys in and trying to keep everybody happy, you know, maybe – Maybe more minutes for less players uh, is, is where they end up finding their niche a little bit. But right now, um, the, the other part, though, that, that as a coach, I've, I've lived it too. I had two coaches, and um, and the, the first one under Buzz Peterson didn't, didn't work out. And I remember one of the things we really lacked was, was uh, an identity because it just seemed like every time one plan didn't work, we'd go to another. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's something that as a coach you also don't want to uh, start to really confuse your players and uh, to where they don't expect either. You said you 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 uh, didn't think Kobe Brown could reach that level. I think a lot of folks here agreed with you, and I'm I'm kind of having the same realization about Sean East this year. I'm curious what you see from Sean East. Um, he's been such a bright spot for Mizzou this season compared to to last and the strides that he's made. Because I know Missouri's not going to win a ton of games this season, but I I think he might be one of the better players in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's been outstanding, and, and he's kind of the exception to the rule of don't. Don't over dribble, but just put the ball in his hands and, and let him do his thing. And you know what I love about him is, is the, the brief time I've had around him to talk with him and, and his Im- improved uh, shooting percentages and scoring. And, and he, he's almost embarrassed by it. Yeah, like he doesn't even want to talk about it. He's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's good. I've been working on my shot, but you know, I'm really a pass first guy. I like to look for my teammates. Like he's just quick to defer to, to do that. And so that's one of the things that uh, Dennis Gates has talked about with his team too. It's like. I need you to take the shots when you're open. When a coach asks you to shoot the ball, that should be a dream come true. And so uh, when, when you have a lot of unselfish guys like that, um, it, can, it can be a learning process. But Sean East has, has really elevated himself as one of the, the top players and the way he can uh, make some of those tough twos, uh, I think, has uh, posed some real challenges for defenses. But um, And then what you'll start to see, too, is you know, the the – the less offensive firepower they might have given some of these injuries, the more pressure it puts on him, and he still seems to get it going, even though last game wasn't his best outing. We're visiting with Dane Bradshaw from ESPN of the SEC Network. was on the call from Mizzou and Alabama just a few days ago. Of course, a former Tennessee volunteer as well. Uh, Dane, I, I, you know, we didn't get to see a ton of the freshmen, but we saw a little bit. We saw some of Jordan Butler and Anthony Robinson uh, in that loss, the the brief opportunities you've had to see of, of those guys, they certainly appear to be difference makers. They're they're still young and and raw, but very talented. What how how close or, or far away do you think uh, at least those two guys are from from the little that you've seen? It of course, Trent Pierce, the other freshman, hasn't played a, a, as much here lately. Yeah, no, and. One of the things that could sometimes be a blessing in disguise, you don't want to just, you know, wave the white flag on this season, but it does motivate you a little bit to, hey, if we're maybe not in contention the way we want to be right now with our NCAA tournament resume, let's get these guys some reps and groom them and put them on the fast track. And because 
Um, I've seen more of Robinson than, than Butler. Uh, I was in Missouri with the Wichita State game. I thought he played really well in just his defensive presence, his, his confidence out there as a freshman, uh, just unafraid, great wingspan, can, can get some steals and jump passing lanes. I, I think he fits a lot of what uh, uh, Dennis Gates and this Missouri staff want to have. And then for, for Butler, I, I've not seen enough of him yet to give a great evaluation. But I can tell you that in talking to Dennis Gates, he, he is certainly high on them. And, and that's uh, behind the scenes, no cameras on. It's like, hey, guys like Butler, we got to start getting some, some more out of because they can step up big for us. So a lot of confidence there from the head coach and, and Butler. In, 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 a, in a situation, like you said, where you're not waving the right white flag, but these guys will – in theory, get more opportunities. It certainly looks like there are there are freshmen around the SEC that are getting that chance. So it whether it's just you know learning curve, whether it's uh, you know coaching philosophy. Uh, it, do you tend to see in in your experience, Dane, where we get later in the year where maybe some freshmen who haven't played as much early have a have a tendency to turn it on, maybe in the month of February, late January. Yeah, I think a lot of it is is how coaches decided to, to build their roster. To, to an extreme, you look at Kentucky, where Coach Cal kind of went back to his bread and butter, which is, I'm going to get the best freshman in the country. I appreciate the transfer portal, but I'm going to recruit the best and and put them on the fast track and and have them playing their best ball. Now, I think they, in that uh, vein, I mean, those Kentucky freshmen have exceeded all expectations, and uh, and they've been mature beyond their years. And then, you know, but then others prefer to, to hit the transfer portal and you see uh, the likes of Tennessee with Dalton Connect where they're, they're relying on uh, a veteran to come in and, and do their thing. So it, it can kind of just depend on, on who the roster is. But um, I, I would say whether it's freshmen or transfers, with the way the you know, NCAA uh, uh, landscape is right now, just about every team – out there can say it's taken us a while to mesh because we had so many new pieces. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I went into a shoot around and that was one of the lines, like <laughs> be doing okay. And so uh, that's just uh, the way it is right now with the extra COVID year and everything else to where uh, the teams that, that start to mesh sooner and later can get it going. Um, and then the ones that haven't quite yet, uh, you don't count out because of those variables where they might be a little bit of late bloomers. Uh, Arkansas is a great example of that, of, Gosh, you know, they must always seems to get it going after some questionable starts. And will he do it again this year after a big win against Texas A&M to sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, maybe turn around their season and save it? Well, I was going to – that kind of leads right into the final questions I wanted to ask you, Dane, conference-wide. Right now, if you had to put pen to paper, who do you think the best team in this league is? And then on top of that, who's the team that you've seen enough of that you say, yeah, they might not have it going yet? But they're the team that I think could have it going by by the time it gets to March. Yeah, I'd say the the top four are pretty easy for me with Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee. I've been given the nod to Tennessee recently just because um, their, their defense is something you can typically count on night in, night out. And then when you just need to have that star player, Dalton Connect has, has absolutely shined. And then Zakai Ziegler being back healthy at the point guard spot as long as well as all their veteran leadership. So. And I keep waiting for Auburn to maybe come, come back down to earth. 
and all they do is just keep beating people by double digits. I mean, Auburn is just uh, – when you talk about a team that's clicking and is meshing and knows their roles, I don't know that any team is more than Auburn right now. The only reason I put them slightly below Tennessee is just um, lack of star power on the perimeter specifically. And to, to answer your other question about who can get it going, um, uh, that's where I look at Texas A&M. Uh, I think everybody had high hopes for them. And it's not like it's been a disastrous non-conference, but one that uh, has, has left a lot to be desired. And so it just seems like the past couple games, um, no matter if, if it's aesthetically pleasing or not, they're putting the ball in the hands of Taylor and Radford. It's almost a take-turn situation. Put it in their hand, get to the rim. If you miss it, they're going to go get the offensive rebound. They're the best in the country at it. So uh, I don't expect A&M to necessarily make a run to win the league, but I could see them uh, really getting some big victories and turning it on to where they, they solidify themselves in one of those uh, you know, four or five seed type uh, spots for the NCAA tournament. Dane Bradshaw, kind enough to join us here. It's our Mizzou Game Plan Show on the Big 550 KTRS. Dan, appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. Uh, tremendous insight, and uh, I know we both really enjoyed uh, your call a few days ago. Hopefully we'll uh, be able to see and hear you on more Mizzou games throughout the rest of the year. Thanks so much for taking some time for us. What, what game do you have uh, tomorrow? Thanks. I'll be um, LSU, uh, excuse me, Texas A&M at LSU. So I believe that's probably the first rematch of conference play, kind of an early yeah. uh, time for a rematch. LSU surprised everybody by beating A&M. So A&M looking for a little bit and steal one back from LSU on their home court. Well, a safe travels, Dan, and uh, we'd love to have a chance to uh, talk down the line. For sure. Let's do it again. Thanks, guys. That's Dane Bradshaw, Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson. Some thoughts on what uh, Dane had to say when we come back uh, after this. The Mizzou we game are wrapping plan up the this 7 o'clock hour. Our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550. Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson, Mizzou in Florida. Tomorrow night coverage starts at 6.30. And Ben, just a uh, uh, thought or two on what, you, uh, what, what, what Dane had to say. I liked his view of the Missouri program right now. And I think it shows you how much work Dane puts in that he's saying a lot of the, some of the things we've touched on and He's trying to keep track of all these teams, but kind of talked about Dennis Gates, maybe trying to find that fine line between sticking to your identity as a coach and the program you want to have and the style of play you want to have, but tweaking it as you need to kind of fit the roster you have. And I think that's kind of what Dennis Gates is doing right now. And I think that uh, Dane had a pretty tight read on that. Um, and you can tell he does the work. He goes and talks to these coaches and gets a chance to, to see what they're thinking. And they trust him as a guy who played in this league. So he's uh, he's got a pretty good read on the Tigers right now, it sounded like to me. Yeah, and, and it feels like, you know, you get it you get a just get an impression that here's somebody else that feels like Ben this uh, are are they close to being a tournament team like right now? No. But are they close to being to being able to win maybe multiple games? Were they close to winning multiple games that they weren't able uh, to close out? I think that answer is yes. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, they're, they're, they've they got winnable games left on their schedule. They, they it's do, hard yeah. To, it's hard to believe they're just going to keep losing all of them. Um, some of these are kind of 50-50 games, but you wonder how things snowball and, and compound. I, I'm, I'm interested in – this will come as a surprise to no one who's listened to us talk about this team – Sometimes when you turn over more opportunities to the young guys, there's a there's a there's a, a good reaction that comes with that. Maybe you see some things you haven't seen earlier this season. Maybe some of those those shots that haven't fallen due, and there can be a little bit of a 
a pressure release in some ways when you start playing for your future a little bit um, in addition to playing for the present. So I'm, I'm hopeful that this team can end the season with some of the guys who will be back around providing good reasons for people to be optimistic. I think Dennis Gates does owe the future of this team the chance to do that. And I think the, the, the sooner that, that he, he starts to, to get more and more in that direction, the better it will be for the team long term. More of basketball talk next hour. We're going to hear from Jesus Carolero Martin, but we'll talk some football as well as we are knee-deep in this offseason that seems like there are new twists and turns around every corner. We'll make some picks as well. It is our Mizzou Game Plan show here on the Big 550 KTRS. Second hour of our Mizzou game plan here on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. We're going to make some basketball picks later. We're going to hear from Mizzou senior forward Jesus Carolero Martin. He's been getting a lot more run lately and has seen his offensive game really come around. We knew that. We knew this guy could shoot and pass, and he's doing all of that for the Tigers. Ben, a little football here as we continue in this, really, uh, a sport in college football. Ben, there used to be, a, you know, you had the season, right? You had the walk-up to the season, which was like August, training camp, two or three weeks. You had bowl season. You had signing day. And you had spring football. And it felt like there were like maybe four or five months throughout the course of the year where where college football would basically lie dormant. Uh, not the case. Not the case anymore. It's, it, is, it is the sport that does not end. Heck, even the NFL, you kind of get a sense there's, a, there's like a little breather at the end of the Super Bowl. I mean, we had the national championship now what? Has it been uh, almost two weeks ago now? And it's just nonstop. I mean, going from Saban retiring to new coach come in to all these players abandoning Alabama, what's Jim Harbaugh doing? More guys in the portal. It is it is never ending. And my gosh, I mean, for for our guys that maybe now we know why Dave Matter left the Post-Dispatch to go to Mizzou. I, I mean, the Mizzou beat itself, the college football beat, never ends. Yeah, it's pretty nonstop, and like we we like to joke about the money these coaches make, and I think we'd all probably trade salaries with an SEC head coach, but we probably wouldn't trade calendars. Um, I mean, put yourself in the uh, in the shoes of of new Alabama football coach Kalen DeBoer. You step on campus, you are you are facing the daunting challenge of replacing or attempting to replace Nick Saban, and you're automatically slapped in the face with. The, uh, <laughs> the spinning door of five-star talent or, or, or impact players on your roster just leaving in droves. Um, that, to me, this Alabama exodus of talent is one of the bigger stories in college football right now. And, and I think probably perhaps the biggest off-story, biggest off-season story for the SEC. Yeah, Saban retiring, but, but it's more than that. It's Saban retiring and the arm bar that Alabama had on talent being being gone in, in one day. Um, Alabama freshman Julian Sand, the top-ranked quarterback in the class of 2024, announces that he's hitting the transfer portal today. Um, it continues a string of players leaving 
Alabama. Um, they have lost top their top returning wide receiver, Isaiah Bond. They've lost their freshman All-American safety, Caleb Downs. Seven other players, including these, not including these guys, have left Alabama or said they will since Nick Saban retired. And for people saying, wait a second, I thought the transfer portal was closed. It is. These guys aren't transferring anywhere. They're just making it known that they're going to. <laughs> Which, is it really closed? Is it really ever closed if guys are announcing that they're going to be in it? As soon as it opens in the spring, not really. The recruitment of these players will be unlike few in the country. Um, it's pretty crazy, and it's going to be an SEC story because I can't imagine many of these guys who are leaving Alabama are going to go to somewhere that's outside of the SEC footprint. I would bet most of them stay in the SEC and just play for teams that will now be playing against Alabama. I think it's been this way for a long time, Ben, and I mean Saban's – Nick Saban was at Alabama for, what, 15, 16 years. Players are going to play for coaches. And they're not playing for the jersey. They're not playing for the for the logo on the helmet or, or, or for the school, for that matter. They're playing for the coach that brought them there. And then subsequently, obviously, you start, you start playing for the school. But... Uh, we're going to continue to see this development in in college football where I think we see the competitive balance of this sport. It's going to get a little bit better. Now, you know, for the overall landscape of the sport, I don't necessarily think that's good. We can get into that later. But... I think if you're a fan of Mizzou and, you, and, you, and you're hopeful there is a scenario down the road where Mizzou finds themselves in, in, in the college football, the new expanded college football playoff, it, it's these scenarios. You've the, the fact that all of these guys from Alabama hit the portal. I mean, Kalen DeBoer, Benny, just took his team, the Washington Huskies, to the national championship, had an undefeated season. Now, he may end up keeping some of these guys in the fold, but... The minute Alabama, the minute Saban walked out the door, Ben, Alabama became just like a lot of other schools. Uh, until he's until Kalen DeBoer is able to show, I, I guess he can uh, he can coach like Saban. I think it's going to be a different kind of team. I think he's going to bring a much different offensive edge to the to the table for the Crimson Tide. It's going to he's going to do things a, a far different way than Saban did, at least in terms of what what's at the core of his program. It's offense. At the core of the program for Nick Saban, Ben, was was defense and, and line of scrimmage football, old man football, as uh, I, I've uh, heard someone say once upon a time. So I, I think the I think the landscape of the SEC it it is it's changing dramatically, and the sport seems to change dramatically on a daily basis. But Ben, we may look back here soon and realize maybe the biggest domino to fall, and we knew there was going to be a time and a place where it happened. The biggest domino to fall was Nick Saban stepping aside. Yeah, and wait till we find out what happens with Jim Harbaugh because it could be totally. Um, if, if you take two of the most beloved, and I'm not saying about fans, I'm talking about players. Players love to play for Nick Saban. They feel like he can get him to the NFL. Players love to play for Jim Harbaugh. And clearly the guys who went out and won a championship in large part to, I think, spite the people who are coming for their coach, proved that. 
you take those two guys, um, two of the biggest personalities. Sometimes they clashed at the the top of the sport. Two, two. I think Nick Nick Saban is a titan of the sport. I think that's fair to say. I wouldn't put Jim Harbaugh there quite yet, but he's certainly one of the biggest personalities. You take two of the biggest personalities out of college football coaching, you're going to have a large um, migration of players to different programs. So if you're uh, if you're one of the schools that can line up to benefit from this, it's uh, you got to be got to be glad that these guys are, are moving on. If you're a competitor, I'm curious to see. You know, I actually have. I'm curious to see who will get the most Alabama transfers if they all pool at one place. I would guess probably Georgia's going to have its pick of the group because Kirby Smart is the is the closest thing to Nick Saban yeah, going right now. Yep. And there's connections there. And, uh, you know, thank God for Georgia's sake that Kirby Smart is a Georgia guy, or else Alabama would have had the easiest hire to replace a legend in the history of college football. He would have gone and got Kirby. But it wasn't an option because he's never leaving Georgia. He's going to try to turn Alabama in. He's turning Georgia into Alabama. But I, I, if I was a player at Alabama and I wanted to leave, I would try to go to Georgia because it's basically carbon copy of what was going on um, with Nick Saban in Alabama. It's the closest thing going. So can Georgia get even better because of this? Perhaps. Um, and what, what happens? Is there an Alabama type effect in Michigan if Harbaugh does and wind up coaching the Chargers? So you talk about nonstop storylines for college football, and I feel bad for the coaches, but it makes it good for us because if you're talking or writing college football, it never stops now. It is a full, full calendar year event, and just when you think something's going to kind of calm down, there's there's a lot more to talk about, and there probably will be again soon. And I guess that the only thing that could stop spreading out the balance of power, Ben, would be all of that power uh, finding itself to Georgia. And if if that's the case, then suddenly that narrative changes the, just a bit, and, and Georgia is indeed becoming the new Alabama. And, and obviously they've had a, a tremendous amount of, of, of success and, and the recruiting success and the on-the-field success with, with back-to-back national championships. But when we saw that top quarterback decommit from Georgia and find him find his way to Nebraska, I, I also think it, it showed that the big-time recruits, it's, it's not about just uh, the success and the stature of a, of a football program it's about how much money you can make and Georgia can't play all their pay all their guys uh, you've got to be able to spread out those uh, those resources a little bit how you allocate those resources Ben so I think this is going to be a very interesting stretch here like you say to see where these players wind up if if Georgia's able to get their fair share Ben then I, we we delay the uh, the complete overhaul of uh, of the balance of power here in this sport. Well, I think uh, I think Georgia can't take them all, <laughs> and other teams can offer NIL deals too. So um, I, I think this is going to be a, a spread a spreading out of talent across the SEC, and I think that makes the SEC more competitive. And and it could and who knows maybe maybe the guys Alabama ends up with is better. You're seeing. Already, Kalen DeBoer brought in a quarterback commitment that he had at Washington, so um, maybe that led to some of the some of the departures. Um, he's going to bring in some guys that he feels good about, and and he's probably going to feel like guys who don't give him the benefit of the doubt need to move on anyway. So 
the churn is, is continued. What you're just seeing is the really influx of high, high level talent that had never really been up for grabs because when these guys commit to Alabama, they don't ever look around. They don't ever leave. They don't ever transfer for the large part unless, unless they're getting replaced by somebody behind them and Nick Saban is helping them place them somewhere else, right? We've seen that happen before. But uh, this, this opens up the door to all these programs to get their shot at some guys that maybe they didn't even have a sniff of out of the, out of the high school recruitment or never thought they'd see in the transfer portal. So, um, and, and it will, it will turn again if Harbaugh leaves. So there, there should be a, this could be a very interesting offseason, not just for the coaches who are leaving the scene, but for the players who could be looking around. Um, oftentimes the transfer portal, you got to be careful. The grass is always greener and programs fall victim to thinking that some guy's the answer and maybe turns out he was in the portal for a reason. I don't know if, especially if Harbaugh departs and Michigan has some influx, um, I don't know that, that we will have seen a transfer portal period that has as much talent in the transfer portal since we kind of started figuring out what the transfer portal was. If, if you have a wish list, Ben, for Mizzou in the portal right now, what do we think they still need? Because we've seen some shake-up. The big defensive tackle that was coming in from Alabama quickly changed his mind after Blake Baker's departure and Kevin Peoples' departure, and he winds up up at Syracuse, although then you bring in a subsequent defensive end that uh, quickly transfers uh, transfers in to your school then almost simultaneously, what I believe, from Michigan State. So... Uh, the 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 portal taketh uh, or the the portal giveth Ben and the portal taketh away as I as I like to say the the door swings both ways for the transfer portal and I think Mizzou can still probably find some uh, some pretty strong pieces here before it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean I think they they like what they have in terms of pass catchers. Um, yes, they, I don't think you can ever have too many offensive or defensive linemen. Um, and you know maybe I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate them seeing continuing to add to the the defense really in any way because of some of the key pieces that they lost there. Um, and again, you don't know what Missouri's going to lose in the portal when the spring opens up, and that's when you know Blake Baker and Kevin Peoples and the guys that uh, have gone down to LSU as coaches can try to tap into that roster and get commitments from Missouri's side. So I, I think you want to add more than you probably think you need if you have an opportunity to on the defensive side of things. Um, so I, I, you never have too many linemen, offense or defense. You can never have you can never have too much defense after losing a coordinator and having some key guys graduate or, or head to the pros. I do like what they've added at running back. I don't think they are screaming for a need there. I like the pieces they've added. They've got the talented veteran running back. Um, via the transfer portal, they've got an exciting freshman. They've added a, maybe a, a backup option from App State that Drinkwitz has ties to in the portal. Um, I like their pass catchers as is. I don't know that they need to crowd that room too much unless there's just a really dynamic fit that becomes available. Um, so I'd say line play and, and defense is where you're continuing to look if, if you're Mizzou in the portal. Um, and they've made a lot of good ads to this point. So. That's one thing that uh, Drinkwitz has even done since the shakeup on his staff has continued to to add um, impact players in recruiting, and I think that that that's a message being sent, saying that they're not trying to skip a beat because they lost they lost Blake Baker. Have you seen today, Ben, that uh, Florida football under investigation now by the NCAA going back to the summer? 
I'm curious as to what this all involves. I'm also curious to, if you're a Florida fan and you see you're under investigation, that stinks. But then you're a Florida fan, you realize, wait a minute, where are all of our wins? Where are our national championships? If we're under investigation, we're not even good at cheating. What? What's uh, not 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 a great time? We're we're talking Mizzou, Florida hoops here in a little bit, but uh, Florida football, man, it's a tough place. And if you're Billy Napier. I think I heard his his name bantied about for the Bama job for like five seconds, and then it was like, oh wait a minute, uh, Billy Napier's interested in the job. I don't think Alabama's interested in Billy Napier for the job, and uh, his name quickly went away. Yeah, I, I did see that headline. Um, I, maybe it means Florida's not considered by the NCAA to be uh, to be one of the blue bloods anymore. Um, I, I'm joking. It's it's a big brand, but they've struggled. I'm curious, you know, it's always interesting the way that these headlines hit now. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when a report of an NCAA violation or investigation into a big college football or basketball program felt like a um, like a, a bomb. I mean, it felt like a rumble, and everybody would be wondering what's going on or what's going to happen. And now it's almost met with shrugs and I feel like, you know, basically people have just assumed that these programs are going to tell the NCAA to buzz off and, and leave them alone, and, and they're not going to be able to get what they need to get through their investigation. And if there will be a penalty, perhaps, that is small if you if you kind of circle the wagons and fight back. And, and we'll see if this is different, but there is a some sort of NCAA investigation going on at Florida. The Tampa Bay Times reported it today. It has been going on since, like, I think the summer um, and it's uh, the Tampa Bay Times has been trying to uh, to dig into this, and have been trying to get the information for months. But uh, I don't know <laughs> what the investigation is about. Um, but hopefully, we'll learn some more details in the coming days. But I got to say, like these things used to land like bombshells, right. and right now they kind of just are met with more or less shrugs. Yep. And I think that's kind of a representative of the NCAA that is. I would say I wouldn't say it's toothless because they can still levy some punishments, but they're losing teeth rapidly. I mean, they're 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 eating applesauce and, and yogurt because they don't have the the teeth to tear into anything more substantial. And I think these these schools have learned in cooperation, especially if they're in cooperation with their states, they can pretty much say, "Hey, you know, good luck finding what you need to find. We're not cooperating, and we'll see you in court." And it seems like every time the NCAA goes to court, they wind up losing. Yeah, they've had some. Uh, they've taken some L's here lately, and it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out for the Florida Gators. Uh, it's Ben Fred. I'm Brendan Weesey. It is uh, the Mizzou game plan here in the Big Five Fifty K tiers. We're going to talk it over with Mizzou senior forward Jesus Carolero Martin next, and then some breaking news from the Illini. Uh, very, very interesting developments today. We'll tell you about that coming up. All right, we welcome you back. It's our Mizzou Game Plan Show on the Big 550 KTRS, the home for your Missouri Tigers, and a privilege to visit for the first time this season with a senior that is making an impact on this Tiger team. You've seen him out there a bunch the last few games. Jesus Calero Martin. I came close there, Jesus. How are you? I don't think I nailed your name, but um, <laughs> help us out a little bit. Pretty good. Help, uh, yeah, help us out uh, with our listeners there. Yeah, my name is uh, Jesus Caralero Martin. 
Well, I kind of got to roll your R's to pronounce yeah. the last name, but you did, did pretty good. Yeah, I guess uh, I'd give myself a B or a B minus there. I can understand, <laughs> um, but man, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes with us here because this has been, um, you've been on a great run as of late, uh, playing some good ball. Kind of give us uh, your take on when you really started to to feel that comfort level and, and get into a, a bit of a groove here lately. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we've been struggling a little bit last couple of games, so I just felt that um, the team needed a little more from me. So I just trying to, you know, be a little more intense in defense, be more active on offense, uh, be the uh, kind of the connector of the team, and trying to look at the, look at the ring a little more. So, so yeah, and also my adjustment from uh, from coming from a low major conference to a high major it's also be a little struggle for me at first but um yeah i've been uh, adjusting a little more trying to see the angles a little better and uh it kind of got reflected to the core well let's you, you talk about coming from uh coming from campbell university and if i'm yeah. not mistaken that's the big south right jesus yeah yeah they're, big... they're playing the SCA right now but okay, yeah, so I'll play. I play the Big South. Gotcha. So you were you were in the Big South then, and mm -hmm. uh, Campbell is uh, down in North Carolina. Give me just kind of your take on that. That's four years there for you, and what was that experience like playing college basketball uh, for the Camels? Yeah, um, well, it was four years. One of them, uh, a medical redshirt uh, last year because of my wrist injury. Um, but, but yeah, we, uh, at Campbell, we played a, a similar play style that we play here at Mizu, but sort of like a very slow, like a way slower pace compared to what we play here. Like, uh, we play the Christian offense, like the, uh, the points, like, uh, a big man with the ball, the big man creator looking for the passes and all that, a lot of back doors, but, um, we obviously we uh we didn't have as many shooters when uh when I played there, so we kind of took it in the slower pace and trying to get to the rim more often rather than uh, spraying more and shooting more threes. Did you feel like you were able to refine your passing skills there, Jesus? Because I look at some of your numbers down there. I know there was a game late in 2022. You darn near mm -hmm. had a, a triple double with uh, 14 points, 13 boards. And eight assists. I think that came in the uh, Big South tournament against Presbyterian. But uh, yeah. you had a, a real well-rounded game. What? Um, where? Where did your passing skill set you think come from? Well, that kind of describes my my play style pretty pretty good. Um, I kind of I'm a pretty overall player. I can uh, do a little bit of everything. But yeah. Uh, that um seeing the space you know that kind of comes from uh back home i feel like uh when i play high school in spain it's a little different structure that we what we play here when i play uh, when i played growing up uh spain um i wasn't playing uh kids my age i always was playing against 30 year old against 25 year old uh players so you kind of get used to the uh the seeing the space a little better um, playing the angles a little better, so that kind of uh, 
helped me my development and helped me the uh, seeing this space a little better growing up. We're visiting with uh, Jesus Carolero Martin from your Missouri Tigers coming off a 10-point performance down in Alabama just a few days ago. Um, how long before you um, how long before you moved to the states, Jesus? Uh, you know, from your from your native Spain. Uh, I I came to uh, prep school, uh, Linkier Prep, back in 2018. So it's been uh, six years, almost seven. And is the the rest of your family uh, back in Spain? Yeah, everybody's back back home. So were you able to go back home at, at all during uh, Christmas break at all? Uh, not during the Christmas, but I get to spend uh, over the summer a uh, month and a half, almost two months usually. That's 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 awesome. Uh, I um, is what what kind of stories are you able to tell your uh, your family or, or you know how excited are they for for the opportunities um, uh, playing college basketball for you here in the United States? Yeah, well, uh, when uh, when I tell them the uh, the crowds that we play uh, in front of, when I tell them the environments that uh, we get to see here at the uh, Missouri Arena or any other place, it's just uh, just different, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. uh, something that you you don't see. Uh, we see some. I mean, you you see it, but in the pro leagues, obviously, and uh, the engagement you see from the crowd is just something that is really impressive. And I and I can't wait to uh, for them to come here and, and watch again for sure. Were were there basketball players with with roots in in Spain, Jesus, that you grew up watching, whether they were in Spain or whether they came over and, and were playing uh, in the pros here in the states at any point? No, my 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 dad played a little college in uh, in Spain, but he doesn't he didn't make it to uh, professional leagues. And uh, I got an older brother and older sister that also played through high school, but they, they didn't really. Uh, pursue the uh basketball uh career well you've uh again as i said at the top you found a, a real niche here lately with this with this mizzou team and i feel like you guys are close you're you're missing mm -hmm. a couple of guys obviously john tanji's injury hurts and and it seems like maybe he was never really quite right at all this year and mm -hmm. missing caleb grill with uh with his wrist injury but it does feel like you guys are, are are close do you get that sense jesus i don't think the final score on tuesday the 18 point spread i don't think that's indicative of how hard you guys played really for uh for much of that game no not at all uh it's always it was it was uh, a really tight game and uh towards the end of the game when there was like five minutes left in the clock we we're down four points or two points or something like that. It just we were trying to get a little bit to uh to close out the games. For example against South Carolina, we should have done a better job in defense in the last couple of plays. It was a game that we had at we had it in our hands and uh we just come up, couldn't come up with it. And the same thing with uh Georgia and the same thing with uh Kentucky. It was just tight games that at the end it count it count, it came down to details and uh we couldn't execute but we were definitely working on it. And uh we we'll get it right. How confident are you in your in your offensive game right now, uh, Jesus? I'm really confident. I trust I trust my teammates like I trust uh, my dad. Um, yeah. I trust uh, Chinese with the ball. I trust uh, Nick Connor with the threes and Nick uh, Noah Carter with the uh, 
low post. So I, try, I trust every single player in this team, and I know we're going to be good. What's been the message from Coach Gates uh, over some of these struggles? What um, what message message has he tried to impart to to you guys? Uh, uh, as uh, again, we're still, still a long way to go in this SEC season. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been to just trust uh, our our um, our stuff, trust our, our offense, trust our our. Um, our identity, yeah, and just uh, keep playing, uh, keep playing the way we do, uh, and the ball is gonna bounce our way. That's kind of been the message throughout the uh, this whole couple of few games that we we've lost so far. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, keep 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 playing hard, uh, keep executing our game plans, and uh, and yeah, you just the uh, the ball will bounce on our way eventually. How excited are you? You talk about the crowds that you've seen here in uh, in uh, Mizzou Arena. I I got to imagine tomorrow night's uh, atmosphere with Florida in town. The students mm-hmm. are back. You guys are back. Classes have resumed, Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. got to imagine there's going to be a, a a pretty packed house there at Mizzou Arena tomorrow. How excited are you for that? Yeah, we we got to perform. We 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 deserve a. Uh... Mizzou fans deserve a, a dub tomorrow for sure. So we we gotta we gotta come up to, with a dub, take care of business, and uh, and yeah, give one to the to the fans. Jesus Carolero Martin, our guest, uh, transfer here in, into Mizzou and has uh, been playing very well as of late. Expect to see a bunch of him tomorrow night at Mizzou Arena. Jesus, I appreciate you taking time with us here on the Big Five Fifty in St. Louis. And uh, we'll uh, enjoy watching you here the rest of the year. Yeah, my pleasure. Jesus, thank you so much. It is our Mizzou Game Plan Show. We're making some picks and talking about some late-breaking news from Illinois after this. All right, winding down a Mizzou Game Plan here on a Friday night. The Big 550 KTRS. We see sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. We're going to make some picks for some uh, critical games in college basketball tomorrow. And a game that will be played Sunday, Illinois and Rutgers. Could we see Terrence Shannon back on the floor for the Illini? Was on the fast track to be an All-American this year. Then it was announced about a short time after the Bragging Rights game that Shannon was being charged with rape in the state of Kansas. Was subsequently suspended by the Illinois basketball team. His legal team then went to work and and tried to file a uh, temporary restraining order to get him back on the floor. And that temporary restraining order has been granted. And Shannon, at least at the moment, is back on the Illinois basketball team. Now, as we record this, things could certainly happen. I mean, what you know, Illinois is in a, a, a very precarious situation here, Ben. What do you do? The optics obviously are not good. I think we're both on the same side uh, of let the legal process play out. And and uh, I I do uh, it if if indeed he is innocent, you feel terrible for Terrence Shannon because your name is immediately dragged through the mud in a situation like this and if he is innocent uh, it's a a gross miscarriage of justice 
But Ben, if it happens to be true, and you've let this guy come back on the floor and and play for you, it it is a dicey and very very tough situation for Illinois to try and navigate right now. But it does appear like legally, um, he's got to be back on the basketball team right now. Yeah, I'm curious to see what Brad Underwood does here. Um, and as a coach, you can kind of say, look, if he's suspended, it's the university rules. And what am I supposed to do? If if that suspension in some ways gets overruled and it's the coach's decision whether or not to play him, then it becomes uh, something Brad Underwood has to decide. And that's probably not a spot that he was hoping to have to be in this season. Um this news comes today at the same time. I think there's a new report out from ESPN that's saying, look, maybe the information that Illinois said about not knowing some of the details of this were were not exactly accurate. Um, there is apparently reportedly a University of Illinois police detective who had details on the accusations made against Terrence Shannon as early as like September 27th. Um, which is about three months before the school said they had any actionable information to suspend him. So the University of Illinois is kind of trying to say, well, you know, a police de- detective having information doesn't necessarily mean that the university did. And that's going to be a tough kind of thing to argue probably in the court of public opinion. So you and I talked about this weeks ago and just wondering about how this starts to affect a team as it plays out. And I said, you know, whether it, whatever happened, we don't know. We weren't there, but these these stories rarely rarely make things anything but harder for a basketball team. They, they're distracting. They they cause all kinds of issues. And I think this is this is kind of trending in that way. I'm curious to see how they play it. I don't know if they've said yet or not how they're going to respond to this restraining order working. Um, they've lost two of the last four games headed into this game Sunday and. Right now, um, I think the, the the biggest story on that campus is not at all the game. It's it's what's the fate of Terrence Shannon. Yeah, no no, no doubt about it. I I do have to give Illinois a, a ton of credit here, though, Ben. I mean, they've played six games without him. They're four and two overall, and yes, they have lost two of their last four. But one of those was at Purdue, and. Purdue might be the best team in the country, and Illinois hung with them and basically all the way came back at a late push to to make it close, lose by only five. Um, this past weekend, losing at home to Maryland, not a great look. You lose by nine. That That's not a bad loss. Maryland's a fringe tournament team, but you don't want to lose to a, a team like that at home. They've since bounced back last night, throttling Michigan 88-73. to I, I got to say, uh, Marcus Damask, Coleman Hawkins, Quincy Guerrero, uh, Quincy Guerrier, they have played. They have really raised the level of their play, Ben. And I, and I did not think Damask was capable of being the alpha dog for a Big Ten conference team. And I was grossly mistaken. Uh, 32 against Northwestern, 26 in that loss to Purdue. He had 26 in the loss to Maryland. Um, again, 15 and 15 against Michigan and Michigan State. It's silly to say Illinois is a more talented team without Terrence Shannon. And who knows, maybe they win both of those games with him, Ben, on the floor. I don't know what kind of dynamic. I mean, 
the dynamic can't be good with this hovering over the program. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But in terms of how Illinois has handled it on the floor, other than the slip-up against Maryland, man, I, I don't know how you can't give these guys uh, A and A-plus for how they've responded. They, they have really done a nice job in the face of, of something that's obviously not very good. Yeah, I mean, all these headlines are rushing to say this guy's eligible, he's going to be back. I think it's I don't think a judge can tell Brad Underwood he's got to play the guy. Right, exactly. And, and right, I'm not exactly. Saying, I'm not, and I'm not arguing whether he should or shouldn't. I'm saying, like, if you're Brad Underwood and you're like, okay, this team was dealt a huge blow when its star player was pulled out, it's played pretty well despite that fact. You don't know if you're going to have him back the whole time. He could play three games, something other, something else could happen in the case, and, and all of a sudden you're without him again. Your, your team has overcome one loss of him. Are you going to risk a second? Or do you feel like you owe it to the player if he's cleared to play him? Um, it's very rare that a player, I believe his lawsuit was against the university, that you know, then, then the coach who is an employee of the university turns around and says, you successfully got an injunction in your lawsuit against the university. Here's a start. This is a this is a complicated deal. Very. And, you know, all, flip side, if you're Brad Underwood and you don't play him, if the players want him to play, do you lose standing with your players? If you look like you're not going to bat for your guy and you don't play him, and your team and his teammates are upset that you don't, I mean that's a that's a that's a hard thing for a coach to try to sort through. And I think a lot of people just assuming, oh, well, he'll be back. I, I don't know. I mean, Brad Underwood's got to make that call. There's there's not a judge who can tell Brad Underwood who his starting five is. Um, that's the coach's decision. So I'm. I'm interested to see how he navigates this because it, it probably just it sounds like it just turned from a, from a university decision more to a coach's call and and that's going to be that's going to be have to be navigated very carefully by by coach Underwood in terms of what's the best thing for his team what's the best thing for these guys who have kind of jumped into the to the void that Shannon's departure left behind so there's a there's a lot going on there and I been part of the equation has to be as a coach, now you think you you have to think of the best uh, of the well being of your player, that being Terrence Shannon, whether um, guilty or not. Uh, putting him on the floor in a road game in college basketball, man, oh man, it could get ugly uh, in in terms of what he will uh, hear on the road. Heck, what what he might hear at home. Uh, I, I think that's got to kind of go into the conversation as well. Because everybody knows about this case, and man, he's going to hear, hear he's going to hear some things. And again, you don't you don't know how, unfortunately, in this day and age, how people are going to react in 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 public. And that's a, that's a scary proposition to be thrown into the mix here as well. Yeah, and and he's got to think about all of it, and and he's got to think about. You know, all of it from a basketball sense, but also all of it from a from a from a from a coach sense. And you know, he doesn't know what happened or didn't happen in Lawrence, Kansas. And it has been kind of the standard for most teams to if a situation like this is active. A lot of them just tell the guy, "Hey, look, you're out until this gets resolved one way or the other." And the judge in this case ruled that, well, the the player has a risk of being harmed more than the university 
if he's stopped from playing and this winds up being something that doesn't stick to him. And in some ways, you know, if a guy's innocent and he's being accused of something he didn't do, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's all that, that judge can, can rule on. He's not deciding the case of what happened or didn't happen in Lawrence. But um, in some ways, Brad Underwood probably feels like a little bit of a judge right now because he's trying to yeah. weigh a lot of different things and figure out which way to go. So Illinois has played remarkably for a team that lost its leading scorer, a guy who, when he played against Mizzou in the Bragg and Rice game, looked like one of the best players in the country. I would imagine this is going to get harder for this team. And, and it's not a knock on how they played to this point, but things like this, they get heavier as you go. And the baggage, it seems to just become more and more. And this is not becoming an easier story. This is becoming a more complicated story. No doubt. Uh, Illinois Rutgers on Sunday. We'll see who and who is not on the floor for the Illini. We'll, uh, we'll see if... Uh, if Terrence Shannon is there, and again, as, as we record this, it's up in the air. By the time you hear it, maybe there's a little more clarity on this situation. We shall see. Ben, let's make some picks for tomorrow. Four games on the docket for us uh, to pick, and then we'll pick Mizzou real quick. Uh, Creighton and Seton Hall in the Big East tomorrow. Uh, Seton Hall, a team that beat Mizzou back in December. That, that game looks a lot better. Uh, Seton Hall has played tremendous, and Creighton, and they go through stretches like this, and and they they seem to uh, they seem to turn it on. Coach McDermott gets them to turn it on in March. I, I'm going to take the home team here. I like Seton Hall. Yeah, I've been impressed with with Seton Hall, and I think that they, they deserve a lot of credit. I think when Missouri lost that game, a lot of people were were pretty disappointed. But uh, that was before Seton Hall went on to beat <laughs> UConn. They've since beaten Providence. They've beaten Marquette. Um, so yeah, I'll take them. I'll take them at home against 18th ranked Creighton. I think that's. Uh, I think it's going to be a heck of a game. How about another Big East game? Villanova at home against UConn. Kyle Neptune has his Villanova team playing uh, pretty well. They did lose at Marquette earlier this week. Uh, their metrics are very good. Best free throw shooting team in the country. Uh, UConn is, and they've. UConn has not been completely healthy all year long. They're now ranked number one. They are a juggernaut, Ben. But you know what? Uh, a little curveball here. I'm going to take Villanova at home. I think they find a way. I think Villanova is going to be a bubble team as we get closer to the tournament. This is a game they're really going to have to have to improve their profile. I, I, th- I like Villanova in a bit of an upset here. I'm going to stick with UConn here. Two losses. One, we mentioned Seton Hall. The other, only other one against Kansas. This team has has beaten Texas, although everybody's beaten Texas. They've knocked no off Gonzaga, and they're on a run of six consecutive wins. I think the Huskies keep it rolling here and go to 17-2. and two. How about Alabama and Tennessee, Ben, in the SEC? I kind of think Tennessee has got it going. I was a little down on them last week, and I felt like Dalton Connect had been kind of hit or miss. He's on, and he's one of the best players in the country. He's scoring. Their defense is potent their guard play is good um i think uh, i think tennessee is gonna keep rolling here best backcourt in the country right now might be dalton connect and, and zakai ziegler tennessee big i think they i think they get over 100 against bama here it'll be an exciting game but i like tennessee another yeah, hopefully SC- nato doesn't push somebody golly yeah let's, let's uh you might let's, not want to push dalton connect he might not he, like what happens you might drop 50 on you how about Ole he miss NATO <laughs> <laughs> uh, somewhere else how about Ole miss at auburn well i think uh it pains me as you know to, to give auburn much uh 
much credit, but they're all rolling, and they keep kind of putting the hurt on teams. And Ole Miss had I, one of the most encouraging and, and, and surprising starts to the SEC play. They're a lot better team than people realize, and Chris Beard, whether you like him or don't think he should be coaching, regardless, he's uh, he's getting the job done. But uh, I think I think it's a little bit of a reality check time for Ole Miss. I think Auburn keeps it going here. They're four and zero in SEC play, and I don't think they are. I don't think they're about to catch their first loss. Auburn really hasn't beaten anybody, but neither has Ole Miss. Uh, big game from Janai Broom incoming. I like uh, Auburn at home over Ole Miss. And Ben, finally, Mizzou and Florida tomorrow night. Do the Tigers get a win? Yeah, I think so. I, hopefully, Florida's defense, which is pretty um, pedestrian, can unlock some of some of the Mizzou offense a little bit. And I think you know, night game, home crowd, students back. This should be a good environment for Mizzou. And if they want to keep having electric environments at Mizzou Arena. They got to get these these deserving fans will win. So I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick Mizzou here. I think this is a kind of an important game for trying to, uh, to, to set a little bit of a, a positive trend here for the Tigers. You get one conference win, maybe you start finding some more. Uh, I'm going to go on record here, Ben. Uh, Anthony Robinson coming out party, double-digit points tomorrow. Mizzou wins, beat Florida, first SEC win, and we'll have something fun to talk about on Sunday morning. I'll take it, man. Sign me up as a, as a big Anthony Robinson fan. Play the kids, man. It's, uh, it's not only fun, they're, they're exciting, and they'll make people feel better about next season, too. Ben, um, enjoy it. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you Sunday morning. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. That's Ben Fredrickson. I'm Brendan Weesey saying so long for now here on the Big 550.